looking at some of the um, truths in that glorious fifth chapter of Matthew where we're going back. Remember we've spent some time there and I want to go on. We'll start in Matthew 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is there thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. And so if you look at this scripture, uh, we come to the most, I suppose, relevant part, uh, the announcement that man is to be the salt of the earth. Christ said, you are the salt of the earth, not you shall be. And I want you to see how the whole of this scripture is divided up. Verses um, 1 or really it's 3, but verses 3 to 12, talk about what a Christian is in character. Talks about what the Christian character is. And now it tells us what we must be because of what we are. And you need to understand that now Christ is coming on to what we must be. And what we are by nature is essential and then we have a function to fulfill and Christ is now talking about our function in life and many people miss this and misunderstand it you see it's one thing to be a Christian a born-again Christian having the nature of God but then Christ is coming on to saying but you're the salt of the earth in other words that's what you've got to be the salt of the earth that is what you are and what you must be. If it loses its savour, it's good for nothing except to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. So you are the salt of the earth. Now you must be salt and you must have the right savour and if you don't, you're good for nothing. And so the whole tone of Christ's teaching here begins to show a Christian 
Firstly, what his nature was, we have, when we've discussed, we've got to be peacemakers. And you remember the first three um, came to the watershed and thence it went down, you know, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And we saw how the three things that were the results of what had happened. Now we go on, he talks about being persecuted, being reviled, in other words, being different from the world, which I pointed out last time. And then he comes to his main point, you're the salt of the earth. And we need to see that the most important thing for a Christian to be is salt. You must be the salt of the earth. That is what Christ said. You are. But if it loses its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing. And it's this analogy of what a Christian is in society and in the community and in the world that is most important for us to understand. Your life and the way you live is what determines whether you're good for the works of God or you're good for nothing. And you need to understand that. I want to spend some time tonight just looking at the scripture so we can understand what it means. Some of you might have wondered, well, what is salt? I mean, how are we the souls of the earth? What does it actually mean? Some of you might have ideas. Some of you might be right. Quite a few will probably be wrong. But I want to look at it as it is in biblical terms and to compare it. I was talking recently with a man who, who thinks he's the soul of the earth. In fact, he thinks that he's the well, should I say the choice salt? Or the extra choice salt? And the problem is that talking with him, I realized after a time that he hadn't got a clue what Christianity was about. Not true Christianity. He had a kind of religion, a facade, but true Christianity, he had not a clue. In fact, when I talked to him about seeking God's face, he said, well, he hadn't got time too busy and then I got the usual old excuse well you know it's other people's ministry and it depends on the gifts that God's given you and off we went with the usual old humdrum rubbish that people conjure up when they don't want to face reality anyway as he was leaving he said to me every time I come here I feel uncomfortable I said well every time you come here I get a chance to tell you the way it should be. And he said, well, you know, it's difficult. Hmm. You're the salt of the earth. We are the salt. What does it mean? That's a question. Are Christians salt? Are you salt? Can you say that your life is salt? People could look at you and say you're salt. People could say you are salt and you haven't lost your savour. Well, it's a big question to ask, isn't it? Are you salt? Have you lost your savour? Do you know what it means?
Well, it's one of the most um, straightforward and obvious things, really, that you can ever come across. Still, I suppose the reason I'm here and you're there is I should know. You know, don't you, Peter? You know what salt is. You have it in your cellar, don't you? Salt cellar. What does it mean if it's lost its savour? Of course you know, don't you? Okay, well, look, we'll look at it. And we'd better not embarrass Peter anymore. I'll lend him the right books to read, you know. But, uh, you know what it means. What we are and what we must be is what Christ is talking about. Salt of the earth. Now I want you to notice where the salt is. We're the salt of the earth. We're not the salt of the heaven. We're the salt of the earth. Now you don't need salt in heaven. You only need salt on earth. Because there is nothing at all in heaven that defiles and the whole secret of it is this that salt has a function you see in the earth what we've got around us is rottenness and decay and salt is used as a preservative if you went over to uh, the eastern lands you'd discover that when they got some meat they'd rub salt in it to stop it putrefying and in a hot climate, when they didn't have fridges, salt was a vital thing. Anyone that went on a ship, they learned to salt the meat. It was the only way that you could keep meat from putrefying. And in Christ's day, salt was used as a purifier, as stopping the, the stuff going into putrefaction. In other words, meat would just go rotten so quickly unless it had salt rubbed in now we're the salt of the earth and I want you to notice that earth is a totally different substance from salt there is no way that salt is like earth and salt is a strange thing you can drop maybe I don't know a little cube of salt into about 10 gallons of water and then taste the water you'll taste the salt it has a way of permeating things and yet it's a preservative. Now, the strange thing about salt is that it preserves while it's there. And God said, and his spirit is such that it's salt. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. And the thing I want you to realize is that the rottenness that is in the world is restrained because the Spirit of God is here and he dwells in individuals. We are the salt of the earth because what we do is we restrain evil. The church of God is the salt and the Christians are the salt because they restrain the excesses of evil in society. And Salt is necessary in any uh, society or community. And if you don't have that, what you get is unrestrained evil. Where the light goes out, there's just total unrestrained evil. 
And so God says we're to be salt. We preserve society from slipping into the absolute extremes of wickedness. Second thing I want you to notice is salt is totally unlike the world. The difference is obvious. You know, if you're really a Christian, there should be an obvious difference between you and a man of the world. If you really live for Jesus Christ, people should know. I remember years ago, I, I worked for a company called Addressograph Multigraph. And my feeling was at the time that uh, if you truly have the Spirit of Christ within and you live in the ways of God, that it should show forth. You shouldn't have to get our Bible out and start preaching. By your life and your character, it should show forth. I remember I hadn't been there more than four. Let it be the consuming passion. day I walked up into a room where a serviceman was working on a, a, a machine. He was trying to correct this machine. And someone else was using four-letter language. And as I walked in, immediately the other fellow said, Watch it, he'll throw his Bible at you. And... The other chap immediately got up, saw me, and apologized for his bad language. Now there's a restraint, same as when I went over the golf course. I, I went to play golf, and, and I remember walking out, and a, chap, a couple of chaps asked us if we'd go and play. And I, I went to play with them. And this chap, we hadn't gone 10 yards out of the clubhouse, and he said, oh, by the way, if I use any bad language, you will forgive me. I, I tend to, but... You know, I, I I wouldn't like to offend you. <laughs> I hadn't even told him I was a clergyman or a, a minister or anything. But immediately he felt on, uh, and I've noticed when I go over there, they've only got to swing and miss and say something. And they, I, I, Excuse me, I, di I didn't mean to say that. Now what happens is they feel an awful restraint come on them and they don't feel the liberality to be the way they are. That's salt. There's a difference that somehow they know there's an integrity and there's a standard that that person expects. And they become awfully uncomfortable. And it becomes a restraining influence. They just can't run to the same excessive ride as they used to. Because you're there. You don't have to say anything, you just are there. And all of a sudden, the joys and pleasures of sin take on a, an unequal pleasurableness if you know what I mean there's somehow a bitterness in them and, and they feel uncomfortable and they, they feel restrained in the same way when we were in the community association they didn't like it what they didn't like was we wouldn't allow drunkenness we wouldn't allow this, we wouldn't allow that we wouldn't have it that's being salt in the end, they had to accept that's the way it was going to be. And when they found us an embarrassment. And people who are salt are an embarrassment. Do you know when you put salt into to purify things, when I was a kid, um, I used to go around with my brother and we'd fight in the garden and we'd do all sorts of crazy things, you know, which I wouldn't like to recommend in front of children. And... Sometimes we'd cut ourselves and the easiest thing to do when you cut yourself is just to go and get the salt cellar and pour it on the wound. It just soon 
stops it bleeding and kind of it smarts but it stops it bleeding and it purifies it and you don't get any septic stuff on it it's much better than iodine too it's quicker um and self-administered i used to use that my brother did we often salted our wounds and we often got wounds i'll tell you and we used to salt them quick and salt is something that's so essential in those countries now, when Christ spoke of it and said, you're the salt of the earth. Now, if it's lost its savor, if it hasn't got that preserving quality, then it's useless. It's good for nothing. And we have to understand this, that if we begin to compromise and become like the world, if we begin to lose our standards and lose our place and our integrity in walking according to God's word, then what happens is we become good for nothing. We're thenceforth good for nothing. The trouble with the church today is it's trying to be like the world. Christ said, no, you're the salt of the earth. Now, you cannot be like the world. You cannot accommodate the world. You can't uh, somehow become like them in the discipleship move. What they wanted, they, they, they talked about doing away with legalism. And they talked about living, you know, in the community. But I can't. I cannot be like they are. I just cannot give my life over to living the way they live. I cannot go into a pub day after day and drink. I, I just couldn't. It's just not in me. I fo feel foreign in those places. I feel out of place. There's places I go to. And, and there's worldly entertainments, and I feel I, I, I don't belong. You see, I'm salt. I can't be there. But if I lose the savor of the life and the flow of God, and I decide, well, I can be. I can be part of the world. I can live the way the world lives. I'll lose my savor, and I'm good for nothing. And the reason the church is good for nothing is it's tried to become worldly. The church is spending its time trying to be like the world. And it's trying to be accepted by the world. Now, salt is unacceptable. A preservative is something people don't like. If you stop people from running into sin without smiting their consciences and causing them to smart, there's something wrong. If they can feel, they can just do it. And what happens is salt is you just make them uncomfortable. You become a kind of running kind of wound to them. Every time they try to go that way, they find you're there. And it's just being there that's important. Your presence is important. And strangely enough, they'd probably swear and curse and shout if you weren't there, but the moment you walk in, and then come the apologies, well, I, you know... I, Sorry about that. Um, uh, and they get awfully embarrassed and they feel uncomfortable. Are you salt like that? Is there a savor in your life that somehow has that commanding, imposing thing that it just, it's there? If not, something wrong. Very wrong. 
third thing I want you to notice about it, and it's important, is that it's purely negative in society, in the main function. You know, there's something awful about Christianity uh, that makes it negative. A lot of people say Christianity really is a lot of do's and don'ts, mainly don'ts. And a lot of people would say, and I would be one of them, that that isn't true Christianity. But the strange thing is that Christianity has a great negative. In other words, if you really live the life of Christ, people can't do what they want to do. And somehow you become the restraining influence. And because you're the restraining influence, they get the impression that it's a load of don'ts. If you're truly sold of the earth, they know. You go in there and, you know, they immediately start, well, I suppose you don't drink. Offer you a cigarette. Oh, I no, of course, you wouldn't smoke, would you? Uh, can I tell you a funny... Oh, no, 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 you wouldn't like that, would you? I couldn't tell you that story. Uh, uh, and then they try and think of ways of coping with you. Um, uh, are you interested in the weather? Um, they're, they're, they're at a loss because they can't relate to you as their habit of relating to people is by telling the latest dirty story they've just heard or to offer you a cigarette and a drink and, and start getting pallywally. You just don't fit in that mold, you're sold. And there comes that uncomfortableness. It's a very negative thing. When they can't feel free to do what they want and just throw their cares to the winds and, and blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and curse and swear and carry on in their normal way, you're very negative. And they feel it as a big negative force. And that is why a lot of people say, Christians, you know, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't enjoy yourself. As though smoking, drinking was the sum total of enjoying yourself. I would think it's the sum total of how to shorten your enjoyment. But, um, you know, if you smoke, you can't taste food properly. You lose your ability to taste food, at least I found that. And if you drink a lot, well, you're never sure what day of the week it is and you get a terrible headache every morning, which I also found. And I cannot understand how people can call that enjoyment, but a lot of people do. That's how they live. And they think, well, that is enjoyment. But when you're a Christian and you're sold, you're that negative force that bugs them. You're the negative force that golds them and keeps golding them. And you don't have to say anything. You're just there. It's funny how you can sit. I remember there was a man who claimed to be a preacher of God. I say claimed to be because I had my doubts. Very grave doubts. And I remember he once said, you know, attacking me savagely. His comment was this. He said, you know, when you sit in a meeting, I can't preach. I'm bound up. I thought, ha, ha. I said, listen, friend, if the devil sat on the front row, it wouldn't affect me at all. You see, salt has a restraining influence and there's nothing people can do about it. They want to throw off the restraints. They want to be able to overcome it, but they can't. 
Have you found that? There's certain things you just can't do. Can't get away with. Get in front of certain people or they're around. You meet the millers, they come over. And it's surprising, they become salt. You can't even praise God. You feel all restrained in the meetings and st- stand there like dummies, most of you. Every time they look, you wonder what they're thinking. Well, usually they're looking at you and saying, oh, what a mess, what a mess. But um, That's the truth. But then they think there's hope. But salt, somehow, when there's a man of God around, it, it restrains, doesn't it? There's a restraint comes over your freedom. You become very inhibited. Have you noticed? When there's someone around like that, you somehow you can't just be the way you normally are. Uh, and some of you talk a lot because you want to hide your embarrassment. Well, that's all right. Some of you kind of go quiet and try and slide away and slink away like chasing dogs cowering. Others of you try and brazen it out and get nowhere. Just reveal your stupidity. But whatever way you go, salt has an awful effect. Hmm? I mean, it doesn't leave you neutral, does it? And you see, the trouble is, though you might be salt to the world, the truth is this, in the church there are some people who are more salty than others. And as soon as you get along the more salty ones, you feel as though you're unsalted. And that's one of the awful things about it. Isn't that how you feel inside? See someone like that and you think, oh, wonder what they see in me. Wonder what they're thinking. See the way he looked. He must have seen so and so. And immediately you, you, you feel, oh, I should never have done such and such a thing. Oh, they're bound to find out. I bet God will tell them. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Lord, I, I'll confess that quick. I shouldn't have done it, you know. Uh, just in case he mentions it. Uh, you know, Lord, cleanse me from it. You know, don't let it show. Don't know whether I should go to the meeting tonight. If he's there, he might notice it. And you get all sorts of feelings going on in the pea brain. Salt has a kind of preservative attribute to it. Beautifully preserved. And we need to understand that God intends salt. You are salt. Christian are salt. But what I want to point out is they're not political. Now, do understand this. Uh, recently, uh, you've got the... Uh, well, dare I say it. Yes, I dare. You've got the fools in the synod that call themselves the church parliament. Now, the synod was basically created because the Anglicans couldn't work out why all the people were leaving. And so they decided there had to be a way of retaining them so they thought they'd give the lay people a voice in the church maybe if the lay people spoke in the church as well and had a voice and a democratic voice they'd actually come to church still and so they created this 
fabulous idea of a church parliament that they called a synod. And so they appointed people to the synod to discuss things and discuss things they do. But you'll notice that it's not the preaching of the gospel and the uplifting of Jesus Christ they discuss. It's whether we should have multilateral or unilateral disarmament. Whether we should, uh, you know, believe in women priests. Whether we should do this. And they go round and round in politics. Now that is not being salt. The church has not got a political voice in society. The church doesn't need a political voice. Christ never set out to be a political force in, amongst the Jews. And we need to understand that salt, what, what people term as salt today is the church kind of standing up. You've got that idiot, the bishop of some, I don't know, place who, who wanted unilateral disarmament as though there was some great virtue in throwing all your arms away and saying, please don't hit me. And then you've got the other people who want multilateral disarmament, and then you've got other people who are foolish enough to believe that you must get the country to vow that you must never use the weapons you've got first. You must wait till you're obliterated before you use them. And so you get the charade of, of what's meant to be Christians, politically motivated, trying to have a voice in society because that's all they're useful for. You see, the only reason the church has got any influence today is it's political. It has no use. People aren't concerned. The church doesn't restrain evil any longer. I mean, they don't discuss sin and the wickedness of sin. They don't discuss the immorality. They don't discuss the fact of total lawlessness in the schools, that children aren't brought up in the fear and admonition of God any longer. They're not concerned with the morality of their own lives or the morality of society. What they're concerned with is little political issues, and they call that morality. Now, that is not anything to do with Christianity, and it's not being sold, though they use this scripture falsely and say that is being sold, having political views. They talk about Christians in politics. Now, to be in politics, you have to have an inflated ego. Therefore, you can't be a Christian by definition. And we have to understand that there are no Christians in politics. Christ would have been the greatest politician. But he wasn't in politics. And he didn't try to be in politics, and he never stood out for politics. He stood out for doing Father's will as an individual. And the church is very essentially a group of individuals. This church is a group of individuals. And we have to understand this, that the only reason that people quote uh, the church as a political force is they say, well, what about the race of Israel? It was a nation. But what I want to point out is this, that Israel was the church. It was God's chosen race, which was also a nation. But now the church is sprinkled through every nation. Therefore, the Christians are, have no country except New Jerusalem. Paul said, we're born from above. New Jerusalem's the mother of us all. And we have no nationality. Okay, I'm British. In the world, I'm British, but basically my nationality is I'm a child of God. 
I don't belong to the British. I'm not there to uh, fly the British flag. I'm there belonging to Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that I abandon any cause. It just means that my first loyalty is to Jesus Christ and my whole life is given up to him. And I need to understand that I as an individual mustn't be, uh, think that the church must become political. The church must never become embroiled in politics. The true church to be salt. It doesn't need to. What it must be is the restraining influence on society. What it must be when you take Wesley, Whitfield, uh, any of those men. Now what they were was a great restraining influence. They got up and preached. But the reason society had declined was that the minister had ceased to preach Christ and him crucified. Now when you start preaching that and when people come to believe, what happens is the whole of society is affected by it. When you had the Wesleys, they'd go and or Whitfield, he'd preach in a town, and all the taverns and gin palaces would close because they had no customers, because Whitfield was there. And when he left the town, a lot of the gin palaces went bankrupt, and the people who'd made their money out of intoxicating liquor found that there was just no business for them. Now that is being sold. The salt was coming there and being a living witness to Jesus Christ. Now he didn't go around with a banner as you've seen in the old uh, temperance days. You know the temperance societies in America where the women marched with their banners and axes and went into saloons and chopped up the bar and chopped up the barrels of beer and you know brazen hussies kind of marching around the place blowing a trumpet and bugle and singing their uh, temperance songs now that is not what we're called to do that is having a cause and you remember we're without cause we're peacemakers what it means though is that because we preach Christ and him crucified people get born again and because they get born again they don't want to run that right they just don't want to be part of it and because we're around they don't want to be in that sin that is salt now my question to you is, are you salt? If I was to look at you in your job, in your home, where you live, are you salt? Do people feel comfortable swearing and blaspheming and carrying on all manner of evil when you're around? Will they still carry on with the same attitude and behavior when you're around? If they will, there's something wrong with you. If they don't feel uncomfortable... Not because you're saying, I'm sorry, you know, I'm a Christian, I don't go that way, blah, blah, blah. Not that, but you're just there. And because you're there, immediately it's like a great restraining hand. That is being salt. Are you salt in the earth? Are you a preserver? Do you stop corruption? Somehow it can't come. They won't do it because they know that you're you. And somehow there's a presence there that they just feel they daren't. That is being salt in the earth. That's when you're full of the Holy Ghost and somehow you just bear down uh, and they can't help it. Finney walked into a factory and a silly little maid who was um, messing about on one of the machines made a remark about him. And he just looked at her. 
And within a minute she was on the floor crying out to God for mercy. Totally struck down and convicted. Are you salt? Are you one of those that if they do something they have to apologize? They just feel so uncomfortable they can't live with themselves unless they kind of try and put it right. That's salt. And it must be part of our lives, part of our beings. It's the way we live. That's what makes us salt. If there's an integrity and a standard, people know. And they just can't go anyway. They know they daren't deviate. Are you salt? Real salt? Is there tremendous restraint just by your being there? That's the negative side of it. Then there's a positive side. And there is a positive side, but mainly we're negative in this area of salt. Light is the positive side we're coming to. But in this area, it's mainly preservative. But the other thing is the great commission of the church is to preach the gospel. And in other words, I speak out what I believe. If I see something goes against God's principles, I stand up for what I believe and I won't bow. I won't deviate. That's it, I'm salt and I'm not going to leave off and compromise one iota. Is that the stance of your heart? Is it the way you are made inside? Salt of the earth. We're to evangelize and to preach the gospel. We're not to go around de denouncing, you know, arms. We're not to go around denouncing the communists, though it's a wicked, godless, devil driven thing. We're not to go around fighting it. We're not to go around fighting. Things We're to go around standing for Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel. In doing that, we fight those things and bring restraints. I don't believe that my duty and my call as a pastor is to fight for Christian education, but I'll educate my children as Christians, as I said before. It, but it's not a cause with me. It's something I believe in, but it's not something I'm going to make a cause you see, my cause is Jesus Christ. Him and his gospel, that is my cause. It is not education. Now the outflow of my cause, which is Christ, is education. But education will never be the thing. And there are some men who stand for it. I, I, I read a book, and my wife got it, uh, ACE, Accelerated Christian Education, send out a magazine. And they put on it a picture of John Wesley and I think Martin Luther, wasn't it? I can't remember who it was. I think it was Martin Luther and John Wesley in the crowd, in clouds rather. And then there was a picture of a brother something. I don't know, he was a two-bit pastor over in Arizona who had died recently, but he was equal there. But he was up in the clouds with John Wesley and Luther because he believed in Christian education. Now, what I know is that John Wesley did not preach Christian education and nor did Martin Luther. They preached Christ. Now, I know that both set up schools, but that wasn't the thing they did. They preached Christ. This fellow set up the school. 
on a whole. Now, I'm not saying what he did was bad, but what I'm saying is that AC have got their eyes on the wrong thing. And because of it, they've made lots of dollars. But they have their eyes in the wrong direction. It's become a cause with them. And the gospel is secondary to the cause of Christian education, as they'd say. And, and they go around and, and they live it. And they want it and they preach it. But if we preach Christ, those things should be a natural outcome. We're salt. If we preach Christ and believe Christ and we go God's way, I remember five, six years ago, I remember standing up in the church at uh, Hilborough and saying, we need a Christian school. Must have been five years ago, I suppose, that I believed it was right to educate our children in a Christian school. Now, I, I didn't make it a cause. My, my cause was to preach Christ. But what I did see is that in preaching Christ, I couldn't allow my children to be committed to godless people. But it was because of the cause of Christ, not because of the cause of education. And the whole thing I need to understand is being salt, I must have the emphasis in the right place. We must beware in case we ever get caught up in causes. Ban the bomb. It's not a Christian cause. Uh, women's rights. That's a devil's cause. Um, all sorts of causes that people go around with. And they're not Christian. But you see, what the church has done, it's become a socializer. It's become interested in society, in economics, in other things. And it's left off the gospel. The true gospel is the gospel of regeneration, new birth, and bringing people into life in Christ. The church has lost its way. It's become social and political. It's trying to make economic uh, changes in society. But where is Christ preached and upheld? One of the things that worries me is David Watson, a man I've spoken about. Time and again, he's probably the most man minister I know, the Anglican minister, who's got the most integrity of any Anglican minister I've met. And who once told me he had a nodding acquaintance with the prayer book. Every time it came towards him, he nodded it away. Um, and a man of integrity. And a man I respect very much. And probably one of the leading lights and a true light in the church. Though some of the things he does, I, I couldn't agree with. For instance, he stays an Anglican because he thinks it will give him a greater sphere of influence. Well, I was saddened to hear that he's got um, cancer of the colon and they, they, they went in and they operated on him and it's turned out he's also got secondary cancer. So he's had to cancel everything he's doing. He's only 45, 46 and uh, he's cancelled everything for the next six months and things don't look too promising now he is light and one of the awful things is when God removes the light that's there or God removes the salt restraints are taken away when God begins to remove the men of God from a place then watch out and I said to my wife you know it worries me in the church 
God's taking away the men that were light and were sold. The men who were turning back the decay and stopping it. And they were stopping the slide into total degradation and modernism and the filth that the so-called archbishop and those wicked ministers want to preach. People like Watson turned the tide back and held it back and became salt. But what happens when that salt's taken away? What happens when those who restrain the liberalists and, and the people who want all the other things in the church, what happens when they've gone? Where are going to be the salt to restrain? What happens when a lot leaves a Sodom and Gomorrah? The judgment of God comes. And what happens when you get the men of God taken away from a country, from a nation, from a group? You get disaster. Makes me fear. Fear especially for the Anglican Church. It looks to me as though very to remove their lights. And when that happens, there's no restraint left. When a nation has its restraints taken away, then evil in Romans chapter 1 becomes a reality. When a nation loses the light of God, then there's only disaster and judgment of God. And I wonder, I, my hope is that God in his grace and mercy spares his life and restores him. For if not, I fear that the people that he used to associate with are soon going to find out that they're the salt, that they think they've got has lost its savor. They're going to find out that the man who held back some of the floodgate isn't there any longer. God said, is there anyone to stand in the breach? And God raised up men. But what when those men are taken away? What when there are breaches all over the place and no men to stand and fill the gap? We've got to be sold. God's called us to be sold. Are you salt? Are you prepared to die for what you believe? Prepared to stand by it? Do people know you were salt? You've got to be salt on their language, on their habits, on the way they live, on society at large. You are, said Jesus, the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salty? Are you salt? Can you honestly say, Lord, I know that they daren't do it if I'm there. I know that you've put within me a spirit that becomes a restraining power. God calls us to live that life. Now you can't live it unless you spend time seeking his face. You can't live it unless you spend time in his presence becoming like him. Learning to draw of his spirit. Learning to live in the fire of God's presence. Learning to be pure in heart. Learning to be meek. Learning to live the life of God. Unless you do that, you won't be salt. But if you have those other things, that blessed Sermon on the Mount in your life, then you'll become salt in the earth. You are the salt. 
But if it loses its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing, then, thought. To be cast out and trodden underfoot. Do you know that's what's going to happen to that false church? It'll be cast out and trodden underfoot by men who are totally unrestrained. But we must be salt. You and I must be salt. We must stand, we must believe, we must preach, we must live. We must be like the Wesleys, the Whitfields, the Moravians, the Zinzendors. We must become salt. We must be there so that they dare not go any other way but walk in righteousness. Wherever we are in society and in the earth, whoever we come into contact with, we must be salt. I must stand for Jesus Christ. I must live for him. I must give my whole being over to him. Are you salt? Do you live it? salt in the earth can you say yes I know that they know I know that God has so filled me that there's a power of spirit and force of life in my being that causes them to be restrained you are the salt if you've lost your savor where were you going to be salted may God begin to work in our lives to bring us to be that salt in the earth. For salt will change a nation. Salt is something like leaven. It will begin to work. It begins to somehow almost, could I say, contaminate. It begins to, its savor can reach so far. Time after time you look at the Puritan revival. Churches were filled, but my, how towns were affected, how countries are affected by one church that becomes salt. Do you know it affects the atmosphere? It affects the spiritual atmosphere in the area. It affects a country. It'll affect a nation. And in the end, it'll affect a world. Wesley was one man who affected a world. Whitfield was one man who affected nation after nation. George Fox was one man, but he was salt. And quickly it spreads. And quickly the unrestrained evil is brought into check. There's a fight, there's a war, but eventually God brought it into check and his seed was victorious. And there'll be a war and a fight. But as we become salt, so God's spirit will assert his authority. And it'll begin to bring restraint It'll begin to bring the fruit of the Spirit back into men and women's lives. There'll begin to be a hunger and a crying after God. You are the salt. Are you living as salt? Let's pray. You know, salt that great preserver is something I need to be. It's a time to question your own heart, to examine your heart. Are you sold? If people were to look at you, are they restrained? Are you a restraining power and influence? 
Someone who can restrain and hold people back. Is there something about your spirit and bearing and being that becomes that restraint? If not, there's something awfully wrong. You ought to be salt. Have you lost your savor by compromise? By yielding? Have you lost your savor? That power to restrain and preserve. Because you're unprepared to do what went before, which is to be reviled, to be hated, to be evil spoken of falsely. Are you one of those people that hide your Christianity because you don't want the ridicule? You don't want the derision of men and their pointing of their fingers and the poking out of their tongues and the viciousness of their voice. So you compromise your faith. And yet your salt. How awful. How awful it is when men and women compromise, become ashamed of Christ. Almost afraid to confess him. When people say, oh, well, you're a Christian, you kind of almost say, oh, no, 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 no. It's all right. It doesn't matter. Let you just carry on. You try to do away with that fire and burning within their conscience. Or are you salt? Are you one of those where they say, Oh, I'm sorry. Are you one of those where they feel they've offended the living God and they feel uncomfortable with you? Christ said, You're the salt of the earth. But if it's lost its savor, that touch of life, that influence. What's going to salt it? If it's lost that uncompromising attitude. How will it affect? How will it preserve? How will it restrain evil? God says in judgment. He makes men of reprobate mind. It's void of judgment. Void of understanding. And yet when salt's there, there's that great preserving power. May God let our hearts become like that. To be like Jesus. To walk till men can only cry out, Lord have mercy. To walk like Jesus until men feel the restraints and they have either to kill you from their hatred or to repent in their hearts. But they cannot feel at ease without one or the other. That's salt. Oh, Father. Father, thou knowest how much we desire to be like salt in the earth. Thou knowest, O God, 
And yet the battles within and the torments of mind and the failures in our lives seem to mount up. And yet, oh God, we want to be sunk. We want to be those that restrain evil. We want to be those, oh God, that somehow cause mighty chains to fall on wickedness. We want to see the devil bound, oh God, in people's lives because we're salt. We want to see evil have to go back in fear against the holiness of God. Oh, Master. Master, thou hast said we are the salt of the earth. But often we seem to have lost our Savior. So often, O oh Lord, we've compromised. We've almost felt ashamed of making others feel uncomfortable. We haven't realized what you want us to be. Lord, begin to free our hearts that we might take the reviling and the hatred, the ridicule, and we might stand faithful. Begin to move in our hearts, O oh God, that we stand faithful to Thee. Lord, You said if we're ashamed of You, You'll be ashamed of us. You said if we deny You, You'll deny us. Oh God, how we need to be that soul. Lord Jesus. Lord, it's so important. So essential. We have a duty. We have a call. Oh God. O oh Lord, in your mercy and your love, make us the soul. Don't let us lose our Savior. Let us be proclaimers of the gospel. But Lord, let us be the great restraint on the excesses of the world. Let us be the salt in the earth. Lord, forgive us for our failings. Forgive us for our inabilities. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times when we've fallen so far short. But, O oh Master, cleanse us. Restore and purify us. And, Lord, make us that salt in our workplace, in our homes, amongst our relations, amongst friends and wherever we go. Oh Lord, let us be the salt, the salt of the earth. Let us be that living, quickening, preserving salt. Let it be a smarting to some, a deliverance to others. Let us begin to live the life of a Christian, to walk in Christ's way. Lord, teach us. Teach us, O oh Holy Spirit, how to live. Teach us how to walk this way. And give us the power, O oh Lord, 
for power we need from thee. Oh, holy heavenly dove, touch each one. Be like Jesus. To be like him. To have that life. That flow. To be as he was salt in the earth. Demons cried out. Men fell to the ground. What have we to do with thee? Somehow when he was there, the evil was restrained. Their hatred, it was manifest. And so shall it be for thee. They'll revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And yet we're called to be that salt. There's no escape. Of course we'll be persecuted. That's part of salt. Evil can't bear salt. Sin cannot have holiness mingled with it. Without a fight. Restraints never sit well on a rebellious heart. But oh Lord, we want to be that soul. We want to have a vision of being like thee. Living like thee. Oh Master, to be like thee. Let it become the cry of our hearts. Let there come a great time, oh God, of confession. A time of opening up to thee. A time of seeing our great need of moving into what you desire. To be like thee. Oh Jesus, let us pray. Let us seek thy face and read thy word. Till our whole beings are permeated with thy spirit. And with thy life. Till we have the savour of that glorious salt and we become it to the earth for surely that's revival O oh master that's when the realities come Lord and surely we see the beginnings just the glimmerings but O oh master we want to be more like thee. Lord, cause response to come from each heart.
Jesus, in every thought and deed, is it your aim, your creed, to be like Jesus, this hope possesses me, being salt in the earth, salt, to be like him. there come a cry from the heart oh God make me salt make me salt Oh 
be like me. Lord, let everything else melt into insignificance to be like thee. Let everything else, every ambition and desire vanish, O God, under the flame of this true light to be like thee. O Jesus, help. Help by your spirit each one. Lord, 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 for we need thee. If you don't work it within us, O oh God, all that will happen is we'll show forth our depraved nature. We'll be, O oh God, those people only fitted for hell, unless thy mercy does move. Lord, all the sinful nature so easily takes ascendancy unless your spirit moves in graciousness and love and begins to melt the hard heart to bow the stubborn neck oh God to be like thee let it be my cry oh Lord let it the true cry of the heart, born of your spirit. To be like Jesus. Let's sing.
be salt. There's nothing we can do to be that salt. Unless he, by his grace, has changed our nature. Unless he, by his grace, has cleansed us, moved in our hearts and our lives. For salvation is of God. Even when we live, the way he desires. It's only by his grace alone. And after everything, we're but unprofitable servants. Let's stand and sing it. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let's never forget that it's grace alone that brings that life, drawing from his power, not my own. He's faithful. He's called you, and won't he also do it? We can't change ourselves. Let us ever remember we look to him, saved by grace alone. It's his wonderful love. But we must walk in it and live in it. That's our responsibility. His is to save us. Ours is to live as those that are saved. Don't ever think it's all of God, therefore I have no responsibility. While I draw this 
fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. May it become our prayer, our longing in our life.